All right. Amen to the eagle talk. I know I'm in giant country. It's okay. Well, it's really, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, my name's Sean Roach. I have a wife here, Jennifer. My three kids, I left at home. So if my house is burned down when I get there, that's my bed. Uh, they're 14, 13, and 11. Uh, so we're excited there for them guys celebrating birthdays all this summer season. So I'm going to be in Luke chapter 5. If you'll turn there, uh, we're just going to read the first 11 verses and then come back and take note of some things. But I'm going to pray as we continue. Ask God to speak to your heart. I hope that you've come to hear from him today. Uh, Sean Roach really doesn't have anything to offer another human being. The Spirit of God, through the power of his word, does. And so I hope that you are prayerfully considering what Jesus might say to you individually today. Words of comfort, words of exhortation, words of hope, words of encouragement, words of grace and mercy, of peace and love and kindness. He loves us so much, he demonstrated that on the cross of Calvary. In his word, a written love letter to us then. Let's pray and ask him to speak to our hearts. Father God, you have overheard, and Lord, these are your people. This is your word, and this is your time. We lift it to you. Lord, we can do no other. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing. It's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take from your word and give to each individual a portion this day. That each person would sense how passionate and compassionate you are towards them. That each person, Lord, would understand your great love in a greater measure today. That they would be conformed more fully into the image of Jesus. Lord, we know that's your will for us, and we know that when we pray according to your will, we can expect you to answer. We trust that you will, Lord. You've always been so faithful to bless the teaching of your word. And Lord, we're just doing what you did, opening the word to the people. So we look forward to what you're going to do now, Lord, in Jesus' name. And for his glory, we ask these things. Amen. All right, so I'm reading from the New King James uh, there. If you have a different version, forgive me. Uh, Let's read the first five verses, I'm sorry, first 11 verses of Luke 5, and then we'll come back and take some notes here. So it says here, as it was, the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. And he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Some debate on this scene. 
Mark and Matthew also record this passage. It seems to me, you're getting my point of view, that there's two calls to catch men as fish. And this is a second time that this has happened in the lives of Peter, James, and John. Probably about a year earlier, Jesus has done this same call and they followed him for a short time, but then they went back to their business. We know they were full-time fishermen. Probably about a year later here, the scene is repeated, right? So here are these men. Now, Jesus, uh, just to lay the context, the day before he has recently healed Peter's mother-in-law, and it says they brought to him all from that town who were sick, and he healed them all through the night. And then they said to him, stay. He said, no, no, I can't stay any longer. I've got to depart and preach to other cities in Israel. And now here he is in this chapter then, 5 of Luke, We see Jesus encountering individuals, four different individuals we'll meet. Today we'll just look at his encounter with Peter as an individual. Jesus sees the crowd, but he sees an individual. And I hope today you don't feel like part of a crowd as much as an individual, a child of God, and that he would speak directly to you. In verse 1 it says that there's a crowd gathered there, right? The Lake of Gennesaret, so you know it's the Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the Sea of Tiberias there, Uh, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, about 680 feet below sea level. has a sloping uh, coast there. And if you kind of take an overhead view in a helicopter and you look down, you see a scene. You see the sloping banks to the water and you see a crowd, a multitude formed. And there's a solitary figure in the front of that crowd, Jesus. And it says the crowd is pressing in. They want to hear from the word of God, the word of God from the word of God. Don't you wish you had a CD of that teaching Jesus gave that day? Oh, as he opened the word of God to the people, how glorious it must have been. And they're pressing in, they're leaning in. Oh, I hope you come to church on Sundays and lean in to hear from Jesus himself and his very word. And he opens the word to them there. Interesting. Now, if you take note, Again, we're still overhead in the scene. And there's two boats off to the side. Two boats off to the side. It says they're standing there. In the Greek, that means they're anchored. Two boats. And I want to suggest to you in the scene today that there are two boats there for a very important reason. Those two boats are types or illustrations or examples of a human life. And Jesus is going to take one of those boats and he's going to show us what he can do with a life that's filled with him. He's going to take one of those boats and he's going to show us that a life filled with his spirit, filled with his power, filled with his purpose, filled with his vision can do amazing things. And then we're going to see another lonely boat that stays there, anchored, useless, purposeless, not doing what it was called to do, really, Just a waste of time and space in a certain way. Here's Jesus then. He's teaching a multitude of people there. And he begins to open the word of God to them. But as the multitude pressed then, he turns to Peter and he gets into one of the boats. He asks Peter then. We're introduced for the first time in Luke's gospel here in verse 3 to Simon Peter. First time he's mentioned in Luke. And he says, Peter, let out a little into the water so that the crowd doesn't push him back into the water and whatever, right? He feels the press, and so he gets out. It's a natural amphitheater. It's much better to teach from the boat than it would be even on the dry land. Peter, press out a little bit, will you? And so Peter does, and it says when he was done speaking, 
And I think that you ought to take note there. It doesn't say he was done teaching. It says when he was done speaking to the multitude, he turns to Peter. I think he gets Peter in a boat alone. Now, we know Peter wasn't alone. The nets that they used, he needed a team to cast out. Certainly, Peter wasn't alone on the boat physically, but he was alone, a solitary figure. You know, we can be in a crowd and we can be alone, can't we? And sometimes that's exactly where Jesus needs us, alone, one-on-one with him, that he might get us by the face, right up close and speak deeply into our hearts. If any of you have children, I have three, now they're getting to be the teenage years, praise the Lord. But right when they were younger, I used to have to say, look at me, repeat back what I said. I'd have to grab their attention. And that's what Jesus wants to do here with Peter today. He wants to, in this scene, he gets Peter a little bit out on the water, alone as it were on the boat, And he's going to teach him an invaluable lesson as he calls him to ministry. Oh, what a glorious scene. He asks him to go out just a little way. And then when he stops speaking, it says there, he says, Simon, now launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus will call Peter here progressively, deeper and deeper into his service gracious God we serve, right? He doesn't always ask us to dive into the deep end right away. Sometimes he just calls us to wade out a little way and get ourselves a little acclimated to the water, get our feet under us, and then he'll call us a little further still and a little further still. And it's my claim today that he's calling each of us a little further still into him, a little deeper into a walk and a communion with him, a little closer to him. He calls Peter. Now, Peter, you'll note, he goes out early, right? Little ways. Hey, no problem, Lord, I'll go. But now Jesus says, go out a little further and let down your notes for a cat, let down your nets for a catch. And we begin to see Peter's intellect kick in. We begin to see the humanity, the flesh of Peter. All of a sudden, Peter wants to say, no, no, Lord, I'm a fisherman by trade. We fished all night. We have caught nothing. What do you mean let down a net? There's no possibility of us catching fish. See, we find sometimes, don't we, that it's easy to go a little way with Jesus. But sometimes when he calls us deeper still, It can be difficult. See, Jesus here is exploding Peter's intellect. He's exploding Peter's preconceived notions. He's overcoming Peter here. In fact, if you'll take note, he's commanding the captain of the ship. He has now stepped into the boat and he is telling the captain what to do. That's what he wants to do in our lives. But he wants to do that because of his grace. He wants to do that because of his love. He wants to do that because of his mercy and his kindness and his compassion. He has blessing for Peter. But that blessing is only as Peter goes a little further with Jesus. And sometimes he has to say things that are illogical to us. Sometimes, in fact, he has to do things 
in church lives that are illogical. You know, Jesus said a lot of illogical things, didn't he? Didn't he say the last will be first? Didn't he say who has some will be given more and he who doesn't have any, even what he has, will be taken away? Didn't he say to be the greatest, you need to be the least? He said a lot of illogical things because he's not after our minds. He's after our hearts. He's after us trusting in his word. He opened the word before the people. And now he turns and he gives Peter a solo Bible study, a visual example that Peter's going to be able to see and understand. And it's going to bypass, it's going to overrule his intellect and his emotion. And Jesus says to him, come a little further with me, Peter. Oh, Lord, you don't mean go deeper. I let down the net. We've already done that. I'm an expert fisherman. We don't fish in the day. We don't fish when there's a crowd on the bank. It's too noisy. The best fishing is at night when it's quiet and the fish can't see the nets. Oh, Lord, but take note what he says. Oh, what Peter says there, like the man in Mark 9 that says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Peter says, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. Nevertheless, Lord, at your word, I'll do it. That's Peter there. He says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Oh, how glorious of Peter to do so for us, to show obedience here in this point. Be the central theme of the teaching, I would think. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it, Lord. It might not make sense to me, Lord. It might be counterintuitive. It might be, in fact, very difficult in my human flesh. In fact, it might be impossible. I suggest to you that it would be impossible to do some of the things that Jesus calls us to do in the flesh. He makes it that way because he wants us to operate in the spirit. See, he gives us impossible things and circumstances and situations so that we are left to say, Lord, I can't deal with this. This is over and above me. I'm a human being. I don't have what it takes. And then we might be so desperate. Sadly, that's what he has to do with so many of us. I related to the Rick saying, and he was a slow learner. Amen, brother, I'm in that same club. And he might say, hey, you've got nowhere else to turn now. Look to me. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the power. By my spirit, saith the Lord. Here's Peter then. He says, oh, Lord, you know what? We fished all night, but nevertheless, at your word, I will do it. I think all of life, frankly, really boils down to a test of the character of Jesus Christ. Do we trust his integrity? Do we trust his integrity? I believe a a disciple transfers trust to Jesus. Transfers trust to Jesus for a life. And when we fail to do that, and I'm in the club with you, please don't think I'm preaching from the spiritual mountain of perfect faithfulness. When we fail to trust Jesus... It's because we don't believe his integrity. We actually, whether we mean to or not, and I'm not trying to condemn anyone, I'm simply explaining, exhorting. We actually say something to him like, you're not trustworthy. Your character can't be counted on. Something like that. We may not mean to, but that's what we do by our very actions. 
Peter here an example to us. Nevertheless, Lord, at thy word, I will do so. He lets down the nets. And by the way, we know the end of the story here. There's a great catch. And one of the lessons of the story is that the servant of God who will be obedient gets a front seat, up close and personal view of the work of God. I often think of John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. You know, the servants, they were told to take water and bring it to the master of the feast. Now you're telling servants, hey, take water to this guy as if it's wine and have him taste it. Literally take water and have him taste it as if it's wine. If you're a servant, what are you thinking? He's going to smack me across the head and say, this is wine what is, or this is water. What is this doing here? But those servants in obedience take that water. And of course, we know Jesus makes it wine. And they get a front row, up close and personal view of the power and majesty of the Lord Jesus. Here's Peter, a front row seat to see the power of Jesus. Nevertheless, at thy word, Lord. And by the way, it's only the word of God that should be submitted to in that way fully. Not the word of men. Not any man's opinion or any woman's opinion. It's the word of God that's the authority in the life. And that's important to remember sometimes. It can be confusing. But we rely on the word of God. It's the absolute arbiter of all of human conduct. And so Jesus here calls Peter deeper. And Peter in his great faith then decides to obey. Even though it's contrary or counter to his intellect. And verse 6 says, And when they had done this, when they had let down the nets, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Of course, we find that when we're faithful, Jesus never fails. He'll never fail us. Jesus has never failed, and Jesus never will fail. And Peter, in his obedience, follows a little further and a little deeper, and he finds extraordinary blessing there. And lest anyone think that I'm going to now go into some sort of teaching about prosperity and God will give you a million dollars, this has nothing to do with physical blessing. This has everything to do with the spiritual reality. Jesus saw life with spiritual eyes. Ephesians chapter 1 in the NIV says that the eyes of our understanding, the NIV translates it, the eyes of our heart. The eyes of our heart. Peter here, Jesus imploring him to see life with spiritual eyes. Not about money. Not about how much the fish were worth. It was about how much the lesson of following Jesus, that he's trustworthy, that his integrity need not be questioned. That you can follow him and trust him with everything you've got because he's worthy. That's the lesson that Peter's learning here. And so they catch a great number of fish. Their net is breaking. They signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and Of course, you read, they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. You know, we know Peter wasn't alone on that boat, but I I believe he was. He may not have been a solitary figure on the boat, but he was alone. And Jesus got him alone and spoke to his heart and began to show him something extraordinary. I'll tell you this, though. 
He wasn't alone in the sense that his life influenced others. Romans chapter 14 says, No man, no woman, lives a life apart from the rest of others. We don't live a solitary. We influence each other. It's just the way it is. Do you think that the multitude isn't watching the scene on the shore? Do you think those guys that are in that boat, the other boat on the shore washing their nets, do you think they're not watching the scene? think that Peter's faith didn't influence a whole host of people as he goes deeper with Jesus and finds extraordinary blessings there. It's our job really then to just go a little further with him and to do what he says. It's not always easy. In fact, I think sometimes he makes it hard that we might appeal to him for strength, for power, that we might pray more. And we might admit, like Paul, that in our weakness, our strength is made perfect, that we don't have what it takes, that we need ever more of him, that he would be greater and we would be less. More of Jesus. That's what Peter needed there. It's a picture of the church, no doubt. Here, as Peter calls to that other boat, hey, come, 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 receive of the blessings. Peter has so much blessing now, physical blessing, that he has no choice but to have help. It's like the life of a Christian, isn't it? If you were given so much money that you couldn't spend it all, would you just, I don't know, throw it in the trash? What would you do with it? Wouldn't you give it away? Of course you would. You'd give it away. That's the picture. Peter, follow me. You'll be so blessed and enriched. You'll have so much. And I'm not talking about money necessarily. You'll have so much that you'll have really no choice but to give it away. That's what church is. That's what church is. Hey, come, I just love you. Sure, I do whatever I can to help you. Sure, feed the homeless, why not? I'm so blessed, how can I not? Helping children's church, sure, why not? Why not? I've got so much, how can I not give back? Oh, you'd be doing me a favor by asking me to serve. Here's Peter A wonderful example of faith and faithfulness here. And so we see now then these two boats. We see two boats just to remind you what we're doing here. There were two boats in the beginning of the scene. Jesus got into one and he asked it to go a little ways out. And then he asked it to go a little further. That other boat, it stayed on the shore. It stayed on the shore and there were men on that shore that were frustrated. They were washing their nets. They had fished all night and caught nothing. They were tired. Have you come to Bethlehem Church today tired, frustrated, angry, wondering what's the point? Hey, I fished all night and caught nothing. I'm desperate now. And I'm wondering, what's it all for? Well, can I just suggest get in a boat with Jesus and go out a little way and trust him. Trust his character, trust his integrity, trust his person, trust who he is, trust his word. And let him bless your life. It's his desire to bless people. You know that, right? We're not talking about money. He's the blessing God. He told Aaron at the end of a very long passage on the priestly duties, now say to my people, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up thy countenance to thee 
and give thee peace. He's the blessing God. He desires to bless his people, but sometimes the answer is to go a little further with them, a little deeper with them. Sometimes we have to overcome our intellect and obey his word nevertheless. Sometimes we have to trust him and transfer trust of our lives to him more fully. We'll find blessing there. I'm not talking money. We'll find blessing there. But sometimes that's hard to do. In fact, sometimes it's enormously difficult to do. And so it says here now in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw what had happened, they have so much, and he daily loads us with blessings. Uh, he, he has to call that other boat, and now they're a part of the equation, and they get blessed, right? He falls down before Jesus in verse 8. It says, he fell down. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's called a master earlier in verse 5. The only Luke uses that word master in the Greek. It's two words, somebody who stands over. Again, to use my kids, they're not here, so I can use them as illustrations all day. They won't get mad at me, right? You ever have to stand over your kid? Hey, clean your room. If you walk away, you come back. It's like an hour later. It's still dirty. You got to stand over them, right? That's Jesus's description from Peter's mouth. Really Luke's description. Only Luke uses it in all the gospel accounts. How interesting. Here, Peter calls him Lord. Like Isaiah in chapter 6. You know the scene famously. Isaiah's called the ministry. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And what's he say there? Depart from me. I am a man of unclean lips. When we encounter Jesus Christ personally in a new and fresh way or for the first time, we are different. We are humbled. And we come into his presence and we say, Lord, I am not worthy to even be near you. But will you please take note what Jesus says? He says, Peter, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. Peter was already afraid in the Greek. It's literally stop being afraid. Peter, there's no need to fear. And he reassures him and he comforts him and he calls him into ministry. And I want you to know it's after failure. Peter's tried in his own strength. He's tried in his own power. His friends and his partners, they've tried and they've failed. And Peter says to the Lord Jesus, depart from me. I'm such a mess up. And Jesus says, Peter, stop being afraid. I want you to know today you have no need to fear the Lord Jesus in the sense that he loves you. If you're his child today, if you're his son or his daughter, he loves you. He is for you, and he is not against you. He's proven his love on Calvary's cross, and that love will never, ever be taken away. What could separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Could height, nor depth, nor the past, the present, the future, nothing in all of creation could separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He loves you today, friend. He loves you today, Bethlehem Church. If you're fr- tired and frustrated and angry and you're wondering why there's no purpose and vision, etc., get in the boat with Jesus and go deeper. Obey his word. Listen to his word. Read his word. Ask him to speak to you from his very word that it would burn like a fire in your soul and begin to live the word of God. And he will bless. I can't say how. I can't say if you're looking for a husband, you'll get one. Or you need a new car, it'll just appear in the driveway. 
Go check your mailbox. There'll be a check. I can't say that. But I can tell you, you'll have so much of Jesus that you can't help but give him away. You'll be calling people and saying, I've got so much. I've got to give you some. Will you please take some from me? You'll be loaded down with Jesus. Oh, would to God that we would follow him in a more full way. How wonderful when we have a true encounter with Jesus. It transforms us. It makes us humble. It changes us. We see him in his power. By his word. Remember, this is all centered around the word. At your word, Lord, nevertheless, I'll do. Peter saw the power of Jesus by the word of Jesus. The power of Jesus by the word of Jesus. He saw his lordship. He saw his character. He saw his ability. He saw his grace. He saw his forgiveness. He saw his compassion. Peter, stop being afraid. From now on, he reassures them there is a from now on. From now on, you'll be catching men as fish. And, and I don't think, just so you know, that that means that simply he's going to be an evangelist. Sometimes people teach this text, and I believe we should all be evangelists. I believe we should share our faith every chance we get. Some people have a gift, I think, of evangelism, and they're just naturally better at it. Some people are just skilled at talking to people, and some people aren't. We can all be evangelists, but what I think Jesus is really saying to Peter here, and by extension, every single person in the room, is I will use you in the context in which you find yourself if you avail yourself of me. See, the answer isn't to go sell your house and move to the Sea of Galilee and and buy a fishing boat and wait for Jesus to work in your life. The answer is to see, see Jesus knew Peter was a fisherman. He said, I'll make you a fisher of men. If you're a teacher today, maybe he would say, I'll make you a teacher of men. I'll make you a grandmom over a multitude. I will have you, whatever the case may be, doctoring up others. He uses us where we are and with what we have. To Peter, it was fish. So he says, you'll catch men like fish. But what I think he's saying is to every church member, I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have good works foreordained that you should walk in them. And, and by the way, isn't it a beautiful program? Christianity. I believe this. I believe that Jesus... One reason he brought all those fish on board was to pay Peter for his service. He asked him, hey, can I borrow your boat for a little bit? Yeah. He didn't take it for free. Hey, thanks for the boat, Peter. Here's a few. Here's here's some chump change for you. Doesn't he do that with us? He foreordains good works that we should walk in them, and then we get to heaven, and he rewards us for it. It's crazy. It's crazy how great he is. It's amazing how awesome our God is. It's amazing how much love he demonstrates and how much grace he pours out, even in the lives of these failures who have fished all night and they're frustrated and angry and they're grumbling, no doubt, and they got to wash nets they didn't catch nothing with. And Jesus takes Peter as a visual example in two boats and he gets into one and he says, you want to see what I could do with a life that's set apart to me to obey my word, that's centered around my word, that's willing to be overcome by me, to transfer trust to me instead of in your own intellect, 
in your own power, in your own ability, in your own wisdom, in your own schemes, in your own plans. Watch, Peter. I can catch fish even at the worst time. And when Peter sees it, he says, oh, Lord, I can't even be near you. Oh, no, yes, you can, Peter. I love you. I love you. Stick with me and you'll find the blessing. And so it says, then they brought the boats ashore and we know the scene. They, they forsook all. They became disciples in Luke's gospel there. That's a technical term. It says when they said they followed him, it, it doesn't mean they just followed him physically. He went left, they went left. It means they abandoned their schemes of life. I was 27 years old when I got saved. God had to overcome my intellect like, this gentleman, I was a different way. I was an art head, you know, I was a poet and a rock musician and God ain't real. And I had to encounter Jesus Christ. When he overcame my intellect and I realized the Bible's either all true or it's not true at all. The Bible's either all true as it claims to be or it's not true at all because it claims to be true. And if it's not all true, it should be thrown away. It's either all true or it's not true at all. When I finally understood that personally, life changed. God became real. And I don't think we have any choice but to forsake our plans at that point. Again, that doesn't mean we have to move and be missionaries. It may. That's what he's calling you to. Doesn't mean you have to sell all. It may. It may not be. He only said that to one guy who didn't even actually do it, by the way. The answer is, nevertheless at thy word, Lord, I will do what you say couple quick takeaways and we'll conclude the study. I hope you see life the way Jesus sees life. Jesus had spiritual eyes. He saw a scene. He saw a bunch of frustrated men on a shore. They had tried and failed. They had exerted an enormous energy and angst, enormous strength and willpower. They came up empty. And the sun had risen and those men were frustrated and fatigued. And Jesus saw them. I think about James Watts seeing steam lift a lid off a boiling pot. And he incited an industrial revolution. He had eyes to see the way that I don't. Isaac Newton saw an apple fall and explained gravity. A thousand million people had seen an apple fall, but they didn't know. Jesus sees a life. So much different. I hope you know that Jesus sees you with great compassion. And he has great plans for you as an individual and as a church body. But what he would say is, come with me. And we can find it's easy to go out into that shallow water. Hey, no problem, Lord. Ah, but come a little deeper. Come a little further. And do something that is contrary to your intellect contrary to your sensibility, contrary to the way you think it should be done at the command of my word. Well, that's much harder to do indeed. But we find great blessing there. We see two boats. We see one man. It's often been said that the greatest ability is availability. And here's Peter. And he just says, Lord, I'm available at your word. You need my boat? Hop in. Let's go, Lord. There's two boats, and I think there's only two boats for a reason. Because I think all of life is compassed by that scene of just two boats. There's not three boats. There's not four boats or five. There's two. Either Jesus is in the boat, and by his power and by his spirit, we're living the life he's called us to by his word. 
where there's a boat standing off on the shore. It's not fulfilling its purpose. It's a sad picture. It's surrounded by emptiness and fatigue and frustration. It's got nothing. And I think it's a picture of many lives that have refused or failed, or maybe they've never heard that it's a call to transfer trust to the integrity and character and person and power of the Lord Jesus. To go a little ways with him. Yeah, he's so gracious. He doesn't always call us into the raging sea. First, he'll start us off in the shallow water. And come a little further with me, my child. Go a little deeper. Oh, but Lord. Ah, but when we find within us the grace to say, Lord, nevertheless, at your word, it says, forgive my enemies here, Lord, I will. It says, be gracious to other people, Lord, the way you're gracious to me. I don't deserve heaven. I'm loaded down with sin. How could I ever get there if it wasn't for your grace? And if you're kind and gracious to me, how can I not be to others? Nevertheless, at your word, I will do these things. O Lord, O Master, the one who stands over and watches. They come to the shore and they forsake all and they follow him. God, he just wants to use what we have. He wants to use what we have to build this thing called the church. He has gifts for each person in the room. No one's more important than the other. No one's more gifted than the other. No one's, we're all same. We just have different roles and responsibilities. Paul uses the example of a body. Can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of thee? Of course not. Will you walk a little closer with him today? Two boats, two boats. There's only two choices for the life of Bethlehem Church, for the life of every individual in the room. Either Jesus will be in the boat or he won't. There's not a third boat where Jesus has sort of a foot in there and he sort of doesn't. That category doesn't exist biblically. And by the way, it doesn't exist biblically in the area of salvation either. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today personally, can I just encourage you, if you don't know him, that he loves you. He wants you to come. He's willing to love you. He's willing to love the repentant sinner. That you do not have to fear him if you're willing to come on his terms at his word. In repentance, that he will receive you. But there's only two camps. There's the saved and the unsaved. There's not a third category, kind of saved, sort of. And there's not a third category either of kind of walking with Jesus, sort of. Now, it is progressive. I'm not condemning anyone. I'm not where I'd like to be either. But can we say the general tenor of our lives is Jesus is the captain of our boat. He stepped into Peter's boat, the captain of his boat, And he said, Captain, do this. Didn't Peter have the right to say, I'm the captain of this boat? But he didn't. There's a reason. We'll have the band come. We'll sing a last song. I pray that you're blessed today. I pray that the word of God ever grows in your heart. After the last song, I'll pray for us again. Thank you for having us. Beautiful place you have. My heart is praying for you guys. I know it's been a difficult time. I don't know the details, nor do I need to. 
because I know the one in whom I've believed, and I am confident that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Jesus is able, Jesus is able to fix whatever is broken. He's able to take failure and make it even better. He's able to take failure and abundantly bless as it's centered around his word, as it's centered around obedience to the commands of his word. God bless you guys.